Um, all right, so this morning, Ronnie is at a family reunion in Missouri, and so we have a guest, Brad Fogo, who is recently the new Kansas director of the Christian Evangelizing Association, which is a church planning organization, and uh, um, I know Ronnie has been wanting to have him have the opportunity to come share with us, and since we're in the middle of an Acts series, it seemed appropriate to do that, and so I'm going to turn it over to Brad. Bible or your phone or your iPad or whatever device you use to read scripture, if you've got that, we're going to cover several chapters, 9 through 18. Now, I will tell you, I'm not going to stand here and read it all. So we, won't ha- we will not be here for an hour and a half. But just as a quick review of the history of the book of Acts, you really have to start in chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said to those first disciples, those first early followers of Jesus, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Folks, if you ever wondered where Esben was or Fontana or Junction City was, We are at the ends of the earth. We are spread out as a part of the kingdom of God. By God's design, by God's intention, that's how the church was to spread. But as you read through the first several chapters of the book of Acts, almost everything is still being centralized in Jerusalem or very close around Jerusalem until the stoning of Stephen and the scattering of the believers that began to take place at that point. That's when the church really began to spread. So God used a tragic situation to bring about a blessing and help the church be spurred on to doing what Jesus called us to do. In Acts chapter 9, in verse 15, you read about Saul's conversion. We know Saul better as Paul, the Apostle Paul. You know that he was one of those who was persecuting the church. He was one of those who was there at the stoning of Stephen. He was the one who was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, to arrest the believers. And who knows what would have happened to them, but God intervened, appeared to him in a miraculous vision, and changed the course of his life and changed the course of the history of the church. And God struck him blind, and he had to be led into the city of Damascus. And God spoke to a man by the name of Ananias in chapter 9, verse 15, where he told him, to go, this man is my chosen instrument, speaking of the Apostle Paul, to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is the turning point in the life of the church, but especially in the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. 
And right after Paul's conversion, you read in verse 20, that at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who were calling on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet, you read in verse 2, or 22, yet Paul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. That launched Paul's ministry. That became a key part, a key component to the scattering of the church to all of these different areas that is talked about in chapter 1, verse 8. But you read later in verse 31, one of the results, and that's what we need to be looking at, is what is the results of all of this that's going on that the Holy Spirit is causing to happen within Paul's life, the church's life, and many other people associated with that as well. Verse 31 tells us one of the results. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So the very fact that there was peace, that they were being strengthened, that they would be encouraged by the Holy Spirit, tells us the fruit was being born because of the work and the effort of the people that the Holy Spirit was leading. And then as, as you get on into chapter 9, 10, and 11, you see Peter's ministry highlighted and some of the things that he did, particularly opening up the gospel to Gentiles for the first time through the preaching to Cornelius and his conversion, his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you get back into the middle of chapter 11, you begin to hear more and more about Paul and what the Holy Spirit is doing through his ministry. When you read in... um, verses 19 through 21 of chapter 11. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and hang on to Antioch because it becomes a very key aspect of this went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus and here's one of those results the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord and then right after that is when we are kind of reintroduced to Barnabas. Barnabas Barnabas is mentioned just briefly earlier in the book of Acts, but here in verse 22 of chapter 11, the news of this, the news of all of these new Gentiles coming to be followers of Jesus Christ, 
This reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with all their hearts. He, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So you, you begin to see how the church in this persecution and the scattering that that caused is beginning to expand and to grow beyond just Jerusalem, beyond just that immediate area of Samaria, but beginning to grow even more. And then when you get over into chapter 13, this is where you really see Paul's ministry taking off. And Barnabas is a key part of that as well. But even more so, the Holy Spirit is absolutely the key to it all. You read in chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, the church at Antioch, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and it names them, and Barnabas is one of them. Verse 2, it says, when they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy, Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, so that after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The local church at Antioch, made up of both Jews and Greeks, but the context tends to convinced me that there were probably more Greeks, non-Jewish people, Gentiles who had come to Christ and they recognized the need to be faithful to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, to be witnesses beyond their own perimeters, beyond their own boundaries. So they listened to the Holy Spirit and they commissioned Barnabas and Paul to go out and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in the verses that follow, like in verse 13 through 14, it tells us where all they went, to Paphos, to Perga, to Pisidian Antioch, which is a different Antioch and a different location than where they were. But in verses 38 through 39 of chapter 13, we read these verses that says, therefore, my brothers, and these are the words of Paul, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is, is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And he warns them, and he cautions them, that they would fall under the judgment of God unless they turned to Jesus Christ and accepted his grace and his forgiveness. And that really became the heart of the gospel message everywhere that Paul went. He kind of packaged it different depending on where he was, but that was the heart of the message, that it's always through Jesus. And just a few verses later in 42 and 43, He's encouraging them to continue in the grace of God. 
And then you want to see the results of that. You look in verse 48, where it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And then down in verse 52, you read, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's the type of fruit that we see in the book of Acts when people are faithful and obedient and living out their faith and surrendering to the Holy Spirit in their life. And you keep going through the chapters, chapter 14, and it talks about the different various places they went to Iconium, and Paul and Barnabas were speaking boldly for the Lord, and God blessed them and confirmed the message that they were delivering and gave it credibility by giving them the ability to perform wonders and signs and miracles. Later on in verse 8 of chapter 14, it talks about them going to Lystra, where Paul encouraged people to turn away from their worthless idols and to turn to God, the living God. Verse 20, he goes to Derby. He's preaching the good news there. And as a result, a large number became believers as well. But then they reached the end of that journey, this first missionary journey, and they decide to go back through all of those towns that they had been to, returned from Derby, they went back to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, and as they were doing that, you read about the fact that they visited each one of those places, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, in spite of the fact that they endured many hardships, he encouraged them to be faithful. And not only that, but Paul and Barnabas, as they went back to those churches, concluding that first missionary journey, they appointed elders in each of the church. And they commissioned them with prayer and fasting, committing them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Revisiting even more churches in Pamphylia and Perga. And ultimately, they went back to Antioch, the church that commissioned them and sent them out in the first place. And they gathered the church together and reported to them everything that God had been doing them through them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and how that God had opened up the door of faith to not just the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, to everyone as well. And then you get into chapter 15, in verse 36, Paul says, let's go back and visit the brothers in all of the towns where they had preached the word of the Lord. He wanted to see how they were doing. He wanted to continue to encourage them. So they go back to, to Derby, to Lystra. They go from town to town. And in chapter 15, verse 6, another one of those results being achieved by the work of of the Holy Spirit. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew in numbers. And then an interesting thing begins to happen in chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, where Paul had it in his heart and his mind that he was going to go into Asia 
and Bithynia. But the Holy Spirit said no. The Holy Spirit stopped them, prevented them, kept them from doing that. Instead, he took them through a whole list of other towns. And they're listed there in that context of those scriptures. Many, many different congregations, some that you will recognize like Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Ephesus, Caesarea. Ultimately, they went to Jerusalem and then finally back to Antioch where they started. Expanding this even more so in that second missionary journey. And then it's in chapter 18 where you see them going on the third missionary journey. Again, for that same purpose of to, dis, to strengthen the disciples, they went to many of the same places that they had gone to on the first and second missionary journeys, but God expanded it even more. But I want you to turn to uh, chapter 19, verse 17, because I think there's something that's very significant that takes place and is recorded by Luke in this passage. Verse 17 says, When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, and what had become known was the fact that there's a spiritual warfare going on here. Satan was trying to disrupt everything, and it created havoc, but the Holy Spirit comes in and brings order out of that chaos. But when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was held in high honor. Just a commentary to the world that we live in today. Less and less in our society, we see the name of Jesus Christ being held in high honor. We see less and less reverence and godly fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got a great task in front of us in our world today to make sure that we are standing up with the truth of God so that people will come to know Jesus Christ as he truly is. He is a God of righteousness, but he is also a God of grace and forgiveness and truth. The word of the Lord, we're told in verse 20 in that same chapter 19, that in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And that wrapped up, basically, chapter 19 and the third missionary journey. And I share all of that in a very rapid and hurriedly manner the three missionary journeys of Paul, to highlight some of the pattern that we see and the principles of Paul and his church planning strategy that we continue to follow today if we want to be successful and have some of that same fruit and see some of the same results that Paul saw then that we need to see today through our efforts uh, in the local church, through the ministry of organizations like the CEA, 
And I want to highlight just a few things that stood out to me as I was going through that and impress them upon you as well and encourage you in your walk with the Lord through this. One thing that I noticed is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is all through this. We cannot do what we are called to do without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's essential that we allow him and surrender to him and let him be the one who's guiding us and leading us. All throughout Acts, we see the influence and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes directing Philip or Barnabas or Paul or their partners on what to do. Do this. Go here. Preach to these people. But at other times, as I mentioned, the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing what they thought was the direction they should go, but that God had other plans. And that same influence, that same direction from the Holy Spirit is needed as we do ministry today, as we plant churches today. That requires us to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit because he's prompting us to do what we've been called to do. Many times he redirects us if we start to get off track, going in a direction that he doesn't want us to go, or we get out of step with him. He'll close some doors. He'll shut down some opportunities that we think exist, but they're not the right ones at the right time. And just as the church at Antioch relied on the Holy Spirit to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which they were called, we as a church, we as individuals, we as the ministry of the CEA have to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us to plant churches, to find the right location, to raise up the right people to join in that planting effort, to bring those church planters to our attention so we can plug them in to do what God has called us to do. And that's exactly how each one of us individually and this church here at First Christian in Junction City, every church needs to be seeking and trusting in the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we can be successful in the endeavor that we've been called to. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is essential. You see that, that thread running all the way through the book of Acts. Another thing that really caught my attention here is that all of this is a team effort. We all have different resources, gifts, and talents, and abilities. And it takes us all working together to make it happen. You look at the model of the church at Antioch. Obviously, they played a key role in the fact that they were the sending church. They were a supporting church. They were the church to whom Paul had been directed to initially. And they raised up partners who were accountable. But there were other churches helping to support this work as well. 
throughout those missionary journeys. One that we read of for sure is the church at, at Philippi, the Philippian church, and there were probably many others as well. But everywhere that Paul went, even in addition to Barnabas or Silas, there were other partners alongside him, people like Timothy and Titus that we read about. And Paul mentions many other people as he writes all of the other letters of the New Testament. They're working together in partnership. It's a team effort. And what you see here is that in a lot of these people, a lot of these partners in this ministry were co-vocational. They were doing two or three things at the same time, not only doing ministry, but they were working to support the work that was being done. Paul himself, along with others, worked as a tent maker so that he wouldn't become a burden to the people that he was ministering to. It's a team effort. And all these types of efforts are being utilized to financially support the new church plants through the CEA and our partners as well. Many times one or two churches will provide the primary support, the key support for one church plant. The CEA is the organization that those resources are all funneled through. And the CEA commits to covering the salary of a church planter for a minimum of three years. That's our standard mode of operation. And most of these church planters are also raising funds beyond what they receive from the CEA. And what I'm seeing over the last several years also is that more and more of these church planters are co-vocational. They're not only relying on the CEA, they're not only relying on the church that they're planning and starting, but many of them are working a second job as well. And that accomplishes a couple of things. It helps to provide so that they don't become a burden to a new fledgling church, but it also gets that church planter out into the community, intermingling with the people, getting to know them where they live and how they live and what their needs are. And the goal of all of this is becoming a full-time ministry so that their con congregation can grow and eventually become fully self-supporting. But it takes a team of us, a partnership, for that to happen. A third thing that I see jumping out at me as I read through these chapters in the book of Acts is that every one of us needs a Barnabas. His name literally means son of encouragement. And we see Barnabas coming alongside Paul vouching for him when he first becomes a Christian and letting the people in Jerusalem and Damascus know this is a real deal. You see Barnabas working alongside him, encouraging him, defending him, being an advocate for him. 
And I see that being translated and being played out in the work of the CEA because every church plant we have, we have a management team, a group of pastors and other church leaders who do the same thing for our church planters that Barnabas did, the same thing that we see Timothy doing, the same thing that we see Silas and others working alongside Paul. This management team is provided there to help with accountability, with guidance, with encouragement, with spiritual support. Every one of these people fulfilling this role of a Barnabas in an official capacity until that church is able to raise up elders from within their own congregation. But even after that role officially ends, in almost every one of those cases, those people who had served on that management team that support role continue to be there as a support and encouragement, as mentors. It doesn't just stop because the church grows large enough and strong enough to be self-supporting. And then the last thing that I see throughout all of this is that there's a long-term commitment. Paul made three missionary journeys staying various lengths of time in each one of these cities, sometimes up to three years. He was committed to helping them grow. The CEA, beyond this initial three-year commitment of paying the salary and providing a, a management team, we don't just drop them and sit, sit back and watch to see if they're going to sink or swim. We're always available to help with the teaching, the encouragement, the counselor. None of us should ever feel like we're alone in all of this. And one of the things that has really come to the forefront since I started in this position in January is how many churches need that type of support and encouragement. Some of the churches that we have planted in the past through the ministry of the CEA some of them are really struggling right now, partially because of the effects of COVID, partially because of uh, lack of leadership, a whole variety of reasons. But I've been spending a lot of time over the last six months in places like Altamont and Independence and Winfield, and we continue to support a church in Augusta and Eudora and even a church in Salina that was planted 20 years ago that's going through a difficult time right now. All for the purpose of fulfilling what God has called us to do through a long-range commitment to building up the kingdom of God. And folks, I need to tell you, I want to tell you that your involvement in the CEA, both financially and through your prayers, but also through all the work that you allow Ronnie to do in support of the CEA, this is what's helping it happen. This is what's making it work. And I think specifically of the district church in Wichita and your direct involvement in that support and encouragement for Travis and Brady in planning that church has helped to make that a solid and successful church plant. So I commend you for that. So in light of all of that, 
I do want to know that what you do is being noticed, not just by God, but by people throughout the whole state of Kansas. And I commend you for that. I thank you for that. Thank you for blessing Ronnie as he contributes his wisdom and his leadership to this important ministry. Thank you for being so generous with your finances to help fund and support all of these church plants so that we can produce the same results that we see in the book of Acts. People turning their life around, growing in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting his grace, living a faithful life, having that reverent fear and awe of who God is, and honoring him highly as he should be honored. You and your church truly are a blessing, not just to yourselves and not just to the people in this community, but to countless people throughout the state of Kansas because of what you do. Let me pray for you now. Father, thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for what we see in Scripture, the history of how you have built the church that you started in Acts, but you continue to do that even today and beyond. Thank you so much for what we can learn from these passages in Scripture. Thank you for men and women who have devoted their life to sharing Jesus so they can help people turn their life around by giving their life to Jesus and honoring him as Lord and Savior. Continue to bless us with the work of the Holy Spirit. We rely so much upon him. We praise you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.